Welcome to the Mama Matters podcast. Whether you're expecting, you've recently given birth, or you're just starting along your fertility journey, it's time to get down to the nitty gritty and sort fact from fiction. I'm your host, Rosie Dumbrell, physiotherapist and pregnancy expert. Mama Matters aims to provide an easily digestible, up-to-date and evidence-based approach to pregnancy, birth and motherhood with a side dose of humour along the way. Interviews from the industry's leading experts and experience of my own adventures as a mother to three gorgeous boys under four. I want to share the stuff that helps to grow confidence throughout motherhood. Mama Matters is a podcast by Lenny Rose Active and this is what you can expect to hear in upcoming episodes. Health diagnosis like cancer can mean that intended parents are not allowed to pursue adoption and yet they can do surrogacy. So it's kind of ironic that something like surrogacy is more accessible than adoption and there would be a lot of intended parents that would quite happily go through adoption if they thought that that was even an option for them. Welcome back, guys. So excited for today's episode. As you know, it is really my mission to build a really broad and informative library of information that uh, women who are in the trying to conceive or pregnant or postpartum and well into motherhood journey can really access and call upon for quality, informed and evidence-based information. And so today I talked to the amazing Sarah Jefford, who is a family and surrogacy lawyer and we delve into all things surrogacy. She is an IVF mum and later became an egg donor and has been a surrogate herself and had such an amazing surrogacy experience as a surrogate that she really wants to help others to do the same. She advocates for positive, empowered, best practice, altruistic surrogacy arrangements within Australia and provides support and education to help intended parents make informed decisions when pursuing overseas surrogacy. Sarah focuses on promoting the best interests of the child and the bodily autonomy of the surrogate and supports parties to build a relationship that lasts. Sarah practices surrogacy law across Australia. Yeah, it's with such great pleasure that I introduce her today. Well, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast, Era. Thanks, Rosie. <laughs> I was just saying before we press record, I heard of you on the amazing uh, Holly from Mamas on a Missions podcast, actually, probably well over a year ago now, maybe even 18 months ago. Yeah, it's been a while. <laughs> I was so inspired by you know, everything that you're doing and your story and like almost it's just like a little pinch me moment when I have uh, people like you say, yeah, sure, <laughs> I'll come on the podcast. <laughs> uh, so, and you've obviously got your own podcast as well so yes yes, very very busy lady thanks for taking the time and today we're just going to be chatting in the area of your realm of expertise and personal experience as well of surrogacy can you start off giving us a bit of a rundown around surrogacy in Australia and how it works yeah sure so surrogacy in Australia is altruistic lots of people will start with the question of saying is it even legal it is actually legal across Australia except in the Northern Territory where it's not illegal but it's also not legal. But it is altruistic, which means uh, the surrogate is not paid in exchange for carrying the baby. So she can have all of her expenses covered uh, by the intended parents, but she's not to be paid a fee such as they might do in commercial surrogacy overseas. And for surrogacy arrangements in Australia, the intended parents must qualify for surrogacy. So there has to be a medical or a social need for a surrogate. All the parties do counselling and they all get legal advice. And when all of that's done and they follow the process to do all of that, then they can go off uh, back to the IVF clinic for 
will be surrogate to have an embryo transfer and become pregnant, hopefully, with the intended parent's embryo. And um, when she gives birth, then she can hand over the baby and there's another process where we get the intended parents then listed on the birth certificate for the child. That's sort of in a nutshell. Yeah, okay. And so can you kind of go into some of the sort of legal side of things around the surrogate um, entering into that relationship and, you know, how that sort of works? Yep. So most parts of Australia, a surrogate has to be over 25 years old. And uh, for the most part, she also has to have had her own child or children before she becomes a surrogate. That's not always a requirement, but it is mostly a requirement for surrogates to do that. Mm. And for the next step, if she says, I'd really like to be a surrogate, then um, if she's got intended parents that she's already talking to or has offered to, then the first step would be for her to then have medical clearance, which is really about checking to see whether physically she should have another pregnancy and whether she's got any sort of health issues that would impact on another pregnancy. Start off with the counselling, which is her and her partner together with the counsellor and then the intended parents with the counsellor and then all of them as a team. And Mm. then uh, the surrogate and her partner go off and get legal advice from one lawyer and the intended parents have legal advice with another lawyer and they might have a written agreement drafted up between them that they all sign. Go, she's probably done a few other things like blood tests and being checked for STIs and, you know, whether she's got nice iron levels and whether she's got a regular cycle and all of these other strange things that you do when you're a surrogate. And then the actual embryo transfer, for anyone that hasn't done IVF, that's kind of like a, a bit like a pap smear, I guess. Only instead of an embryo that she and, and her partner have created together, it's actually been created by the intended parents or with the donor perhaps. Yeah. Mm, it's such an intriguing process. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. It can take several months. I think most surrogacy arrangements can be anything from three to 12 months usually. And it could take longer if she's not pregnant on the first go. All of those sorts of factors come into play, but it, it's a long process. By the time that the surrogate actually gives birth, it's often about two or three years since you know they first had the conversations about it. Wow, it's a big undertaking. Yeah, what an amazing, amazing gift to give somebody and, yeah. yeah, very altruistic thing to do, especially obviously in Australia where there is no payment. Yep. <laughs> and what about for the intended parents in terms of the costs associated with surrogacy? Obviously they're not paying the surrogate, but does it differ a lot from like a standard IVF process and, you know, obviously there's legal fees and things like that potentially? Yeah, so they have to cover all the um, IVF expenses. There are two types of surrogacy, so there's gestational surrogacy which involves IVF and that's where the surrogate is not giving her own egg. In the traditional surrogacy which is what I did uh, that's where the surrogate is also providing her own egg and that could be through IVF or it could be through home inseminations which is obviously not going to involve an IVF clinic and so it might Mm. be cheaper to do it that way. But Mm. So the intended parents would pay for the IVF they would also pay for any of the counselling and any sort of blood tests or other assessments that might be happening and then they pay Mm. for the legal advice for themselves and for the surrogate and her partner. And then uh, once she's pregnant, she's basically treated by the health system and the legal system as any other pregnant person. So she can still access Medicare rebates for all the pregnancy sort of expenses. But the intended parents would be paying for any sort of like private health insurance or any other uh, things like sonograms or blood tests or things that happen around pregnancy. And then they would also need things like perhaps a birth photographer or she might have a doula or she might have um, a private obstetrician. They'd be paying those fees. And then they also need to cover things like the surrogate's maternity clothing, whether she might have a cleaner that might come and help her out at at home when she's heavily pregnant, and also her lost income. So if she's taking off work to go to appointments or because she's heavily pregnant or because she's just given birth, then the intended parent to cover any lost income as well. What we say in surrogacy is that it should be anything that she's out of pocket for the surrogacy or pregnancy or birth stuff 
then the intended parents can cover that. So mm. it's really hard to give a, a one figure because everyone's so different. But I think intended parents can expect that it's not all at once. They're not, they're not going to need $100,000 up front to pay for it, but they should expect over the course of uh, the IVF and then the pregnancy and then the surrogacy and the birth and everything else, they could be anywhere from 15000 to maybe eighty or 90000 out of pocket total. And that's at the mm. very high end. But, again, a lot of that is about how much IVF do they need and do they need to involve mm. donors and those sorts of expenses are probably the biggest ones. Yeah. Mm. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And so you're obviously dealing with this, you know, sort of very much in your day-to-day. Yeah. And who is the main population that are currently sort of seeking surrogacy that you're seeing? Um. So I think historically it's been uh, heterosexual uh, people who are infertile for medical reasons. So it might be, for example, where the woman has uh, been treated for cancer or she might have had a hysterectomy or in some cases might have been born without a uterus. Or it might be those cases where they've actually been doing their own IVF and trying to have a baby and for whatever reason she's not able to conceive or carry the baby. Mm -hmm. As we're seeing the laws have changed over the last few years, it's becoming more accessible for gay couples and singles to also go through surrogacy. So I'm not too Mm -hmm. sure of the overall numbers. We have some estimates that suggest it could be anything close to 50-50 in terms of 50% of the couples that are seeking are Uh, heterosexual couples with fertility issues, medical problems. The other 50% would be the gay couples that obviously don't have a uterus, gay men that have decided they want to have a baby. Mm. Historically, they're usually the ones that would have gone overseas and more and more often now they're actually able to pursue it within Australia, which is lovely. Mm, yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, um, and because obviously adoption, you know, might be something else that they would mm. be thinking of, and the process for that can be, you know, two to three years sounds like a long time for surrogacy, but adoption, you know, can obviously be a lot longer than that. Um, yeah, we also don't <laughs> have the best adoption laws in Australia, unfortunately. Mm. It can be strangely harder uh, for intended parents to pursue adoption, even if that's their preference, than to actually go ahead with surrogacy. And often that's because the adoption criteria to be adopted parents is so strict that something like a previous health diagnosis like cancer can mean that intended parents are not allowed to pursue adoption and yet they can do surrogacy. So it's kind of ironic that something like surrogacy is more accessible than adoption and there would be a lot of intended parents that would quite happily go through adoption if they thought that that was even an option for them. Yeah. Mm, yeah, it is, it's strange. Yeah. Very strange system that we have going. Mm. <laughs> and obviously, it's very, very different overseas yes. in terms of all the different laws and uh, etc. But in America, it's a it's a commercial transaction. So, yeah. like in Australia, each of the American states has their own surrogacy laws, and for mm. the most part, those are commercial surrogacy. So, the surrogate doesn't just have her expenses covered, but she's also paid a fee for being a surrogate. So, it mm. depends on which state you go to as to how much you might be paying. But the intended parents that go from Australia to America can expect that those expenses would be a lot more because they're having to pay that fee and also in American dollars as well. And I think if you're having Kim Kardashian's baby, you probably yeah. would get paid a very big amount of money. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> okay. And, yeah, obviously we know that you have been a surrogate yes. yourself and that was obviously after having your own, completing your own family mm-hmm. and then sort of going through, you 
were first an egg donor and then you didn't feel that was enough and then went on to, to be a surrogate. So can you take us through that briefly? Yeah. So <laughs> what was it like? Um, I was an IVF mum to have my own son and then I became an egg donor and then decided to be a surrogate. And so from meeting the intended parents to actually giving birth to their daughter was a full two years. It was probably one of the best things I've ever done in my life. It was pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. And we still have a really strong relationship. She's, I was a traditional surrogate, so she's from my egg, so she's genetically my child. And so I see them probably <laughs> once or twice a month and I babysit for her and she calls me Auntie Sarah and we're very mm-hmm. close and it's lovely. It was kind of like growing my family without having to do any of the parenting, which is pretty amazing. Oh, I'm just having tears, like, <laughs> you know, imagining like going through that process and like, you know, I, I did hear you speak about it on the Mums on a Mission podcast about how you didn't necessarily find it that hard mm. to, you know, give her back to the family <laughs> um, because you already had that, you know, you're very clear in your sort of, I guess, motives and, you know, having completed your own family. Yes. But yeah, how was that? How was that? Um, what was that like? It was probably seeing her with her dad's was amazing. So I never expected mm. to take her home with us. And mm. uh, I always wanted to see her with her dad's and that was always mm. where we planned for her to be. So handing her over and seeing them gush over their new baby, that was amazing. It's just, I guess it's like seeing your friends become parents and in that yes. case, I got to be the person that helped that happen. So, oh, yeah, it was pretty amazing. Yeah, and I know mm. lots of surrogates that have that, that we call it the surrogacy high. It's a pretty mm. amazing feeling. No money in the world could make up for the, the feeling that I had of handing a baby to her dads and watching them parent her. That's Yeah, it's incredible. But, yeah, and I guess that's, that's the sort of wonder of surrogacy is that I can love her and want to care for her and want the best for her but I didn't ever want to be her mother I didn't want to parent her mm-hmm. and yeah. not certainly not wanting to do the sort of all-night wake-ups and feeding and <laughs> parenting a toddler and everything else I'd already done that and we were quite happy with our family at the time there's no requirement mm-hmm. though for a surrogate to have necessarily completed her family if for example okay. a surrogate says I I've had two children and I'd like to be a surrogate, but I'd also maybe like to have a third child myself. That's okay. It's really about recognising that if you do surrogacy, that might impact on your fertility and your ability to have more babies afterwards. So there's risks Mm. with every pregnancy. And if you did a surrogacy pregnancy and it resulted in a medical uh, condition, which meant that you couldn't have more babies, then you need to be reconciled to that before you do the surrogacy. Because we'd hate for you to be a surrogate and then lose your own fertility afterwards. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's just, yeah. What an incredible, incredible thing to do. I'm like considering in my mind, like, could I do it? <laughs> I don't really enjoy pregnancy <laughs> that much from a morning sickness perspective. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's a very, a very amazing thing. And was your husband obviously was very much on board? And but how, how did, how was the experience between the two of you? So, I think because I'd been an egg donor, it wasn't completely foreign to him when I mentioned surrogacy. The difference between the egg donor and the surrogacy was that for egg donation he had to provide his consent and he had to do counselling with me and go through the process but it wasn't really onerous on him he didn't need to sort of deal with any of the needles or the treatment or anything he had a grumpy wife for a couple of days but that was about it but with with the surrogacy really had to be that he was as invested in the process as I was because I wanted my number one rule for the whole process was that he and I needed to have a strong relationship throughout. And if he wasn't comfortable with me being a surrogate, then we wouldn't be able to go ahead. It just wouldn't have happened. And not just wanting to do the surrogacy, but recognizing that if he was having to 
do more around the house or dealing with a grumpy or sick or pregnant wife was that Mm. he wouldn't become resentful of that as well. I needed him to be supportive of us giving a baby to somebody else because he was ultimately going to be sort of, you know, my wingman along the way to look after me even when the baby wasn't there, for example, and even when there were disappointments when we hadn't fallen pregnant. it was He was very much part of our team of four and he's been very supportive. I think he also really enjoyed the process of being able to see the dads meet their child and know that he didn't have to, he can be uncle without all the late night feeding and nappy changes mm-hmm. and everything else. Yeah. It's mm, awesome. Yeah. Good on him. Good on the both of he's, you. He's a good egg. <laughs> he sounds like a, you both sound like good eggs in a, you know, in a, I'm trying to think, is that a pun? Probably. <laughs> okay. And just lastly, if someone wanted to, you know, start the process of looking at surrogacy, where is the best place for them to find information in Australia? Um, so there's a couple of things. They can have a look on my website, which is sarahjefford.com, and there's a downloadable handbook, which is free, and it's about uh, 12 or 13 pages, which will show them the sort of basic processes and requirements for surrogacy. And they're able to email me if they have any specific questions. They can also join the Australian Surrogacy Community on Facebook, which is a private group. And there's lots of intended parents and surrogates in that group that they can meet and ask questions and work out whether it's the right um, way for them. Mm, okay, awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, I'm not Rosie. sure if there's anything else you feel is necessary to add there. I feel like we kind of covered most of it. Um, I think also if they're interested, whether as a surrogate or um, intended parents, the, my podcast, which is the Australian Surrogacy oh. Podcast. Um, we're up to about 80 episodes now, and that is from other intended parents and surrogates. So if they're interested in other people's experiences, that's the best way to sort of listen and hear from other people and think about their stories and how they might relate to their own experience. Amazing. That's yep. all of those details in the show notes, including um, your website and yep. podcast. And, yeah, thanks so much for sharing those resources and just – yeah, for, you know, enlightening us on a really sort of complex area, but one that hopefully, you know, is becoming more accessible for, for mums and dads around the world. Yep, beautiful. <laughs> Thanks, Rosie. Thanks so much. Bye. Bye-bye. So I hope you found that interesting, useful, and yeah, just really eye-opening to the process. It's, you know, obviously quite an involved and just, yeah, really dedicated process on both ends, but for the sounds of things uh, being a little bit easier than adoption. So, you know, a good option for intended parents to perhaps um, look at pursuing. So if you'd like to find out more information, you can jump over to Sarah's website, as mentioned, sarahjefford.com. I'll pop that in the show notes as well as the Facebook group that she mentioned and a couple of other relevant bits and pieces. So if you're loving what you're listening to, please give us a shout out on socials, uh, tag us or take a screenshot and share us on your stories and we yeah would love to know if you're loving what you're listening to if you've got any suggestions of content that will really help you throughout the pre to pregnancy to motherhood journey so have a beautiful week and we'll be back on soon bye this episode is brought to you by Lenny Rose Active, Australian-owned, three-times mum and physiotherapist-designed Lux Active and Technical Wear for the pregnancy to motherhood journey. You can find us on lennyroseactive.com.au or on Instagram at Lenny Rose Active.